Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. If you're using the Black Bibles, um, that can be found on page 184. Joshua chapter 9, page 184. Our series in the book of Joshua has brought us to chapter 9 this morning. And I want us to remember as we study the book of Joshua that primarily we're seeing the character of God. You know, anytime we study God's word, it's revealing God to us, right? So we're being taught and reminded who God is. In addition, we're learning the history of Israel, right? We're learning how God has preserved his people and how he has made covenants and how he's kept those promises and how even the... The preservation of Israel led to the coming of the Messiah. But we're also, I just want to remind us as we study Joshua, that it, it's a picture for us of the Christian life now, right? What, what's, what's happening to Israel physically uh, is, is similar to what we face spiritually. Israel is battling enemies physically, right? And as we heard from our scripture reading today in Ephesians 6, we are in a spiritual battle. There is spiritual warfare that we face every day as we follow Christ. Satan and his minions war against the gospel and they war against the cause of Christ. And so I bring that up because I want us to think about that. I want us to think today, start us off with a question about warfare, about battle. In a battle, what do you think is the most dangerous form of attack? Is it a direct frontal assault or is it a deceitful Trojan horse kind of an attack right which do you think is is more dangerous keep that thought in the back of your mind as we study the text today okay because as we come now to Joshua 9 we see the battle against Joshua the battle against the Israelites is ramping up Chapter 9 begins by describing a a coalition of nations banding together in opposition to Israel. So look with me at verse 1 of chapter 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, right, the fall of Ai, they gathered together as one. To fight against Joshua and Israel. So you see what's happening here, right? The the opposition is indeed ramping up. And in fact, the next few chapters of the book of Joshua are going to record several such coalitions against Israel. Chapter 10, verse 3 is going to list a, a southern group of five kings who band together against Joshua and the people of God. And then in chapter 11, it'll describe a northern coalition against Israel. So what we see in these chapters is that opposition against Israel is becoming increasingly determined and organized. Truly, the nations are raging against the Lord and against his people. So the first couple of verses kind of set that scene of, of where the next few chapters are headed. But then in verse 3 and, and for the remainder of chapter 9, it, it records um, a different kind of opposition, I guess you'd say. It, it talks about opposition against Israel 
and God's purposes that are, don't come from a direct frontal assault. Rather, this rebellion that we're going to study about today comes through the back door, we could say, via deception. Through deception. And that leads to the, our first of three headings today. If you're taking notes, I have three headings that will kind of walk us through chapter 9. And heading number one is cunning deceit. Cunning deceit. Look at verse 3 with me. Right? It's described the, these, these uh, nations, these, these peoples that are banded together against Joshua and, and Israel. Verse 3, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. <laughs> right? You keep hearing worn out, worn out, worn out, right? Uh, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. Verse 6, and they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Now what's going on here, right? Well, these are Gibeonites, and if you look at a map, Gibeon is not a distant country. In fact, Gibeon is located only about 25 miles from where Israel is encamped there at Gilgal. So Gibeon is... is is within the promised land. It's one of those nations or cities, we could say, that should be destroyed, that Joshua is to destroy. And the Gibeonites knew that they could not defeat Israel. So what do they do? They try to trick the Israelites. So the Gibeonites send this delegation to Israel. That's what we're reading about, right? Just kind of like a representation, a delegation. And this delegation pretends like they've come from a distant country. Right? That's, and, and they went to great detail in that deception, didn't they? I mean, they, they made sure all their supplies were, were, were old and worn out and crusty. Right? Their clothes, their wineskins, their food, all of this. Now why? Why are they pretending to be from a distant country? Well, because as they say to, to Israel when they get there, they want to make a covenant with Israel. They want to make a treaty with Israel. Right, uh, they knew they could not defeat Israel by force, so they're they're being rather what did you say uh, uh, pragmatic? I guess you'd say here to save their own skins. They're they're being shrewd. They want to make a treaty with Israel. You say, okay, well that sounds fine. Well, no, actually it's not fine because God through Moses had commanded Israel back in Deuteronomy twenty. To not make a treaty with any of the peoples who are inside the promised land of Canaan. Right? And Deuteronomy 20 makes a distinction. It says, hey, with, with cities and peoples who are outside of the land, you can make peace with them. But those who are within the land, you're not to make peace with them. You're to devote them to destruction. And we've kind of talked about why that is, right? God did not want whole groups of Canaanites left right there where Israel was going to dwell. He didn't want whole groups of Canaanites left right there among the Israelites. Why? Well, because they might lead them astray, right? These Canaanites, with their wickedness, with their idolatrous practices, might corrupt Israel and lead them to, to worship and serve the false gods. Right? So apparently... The Gibeonites <laughs> knew about this 
this, this law. They knew that this was Israel's marching orders. And so they're trying to exploit that. Right? That's why they're pretending to be from a distant country outside of the promised land of Canaan in order to trick Israel into making a covenant with them. Now again, as we've seen, it's, it would be one thing for a, an individual like Rahab, right, a Canaanite like Rahab, to truly repent and truly want to embrace Yahweh as her God, to want to become part of the community of Israel. That would be one thing, and, that, and that's fine. They did that with Rahab, right? And they would do that with other individuals. But that doesn't seem to be what the Gibeonites are doing. They're just trying to save their necks through any means possible. They don't seem to be driven by true faith, but merely by self-preservation. And so we see now in verse 7 that Israel is suspicious of their story. Look at verse 7. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, oh, wait a minute, let's pause there. Hivites, right? Apparently the Gibeonites may have been a subset of a larger Hivite population and and this is one of those times when the the narrator like for us is kind of driving home the point of this deception right I mean again we're we're privy to information that the Israelites aren't privy to right now Uh, so he calls them Hivites highlighting the fact that because Hivites was one of the groups listed up in verse one that was actually opposed to Israel that was banded against Israel and Hivites If you look back at Deuteronomy 20, the chapter I mentioned earlier that commands in Deuteronomy 20, verse 17, Hivites are among those explicitly stated who are to be devoted to destruction. So again, this is just highlighting what's going on here. Okay, back to then Joshua 9 here. Verse 7, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? Right? I mean, they know what, they're, what God has said. They said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, from a distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan who lived in Ashtoreth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Verse 12, Here's our bread. It was still warm uh, when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it's dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. I mean, these Gibeonites are very clever, all right, in their deception. I mean, not only have they made all of their supplies look old and worn out, but did you notice when they're talking about the reports that they've heard of what God has done for Israel, they don't mention Jericho, they don't mention Ai, they don't mention the, the crossing the Jordan River. Why? Well, again, this is part of the deception. The Gibeonites only list the things that God did beyond the Jordan, like delivering Israel from Egypt and defeating the, the, those two kings, because they want to fit their, their made-up story of this traveling for a long time. And so they don't, they don't mention the recent stuff, even though they knew about the recent stuff. They are cunning and deceitful. 
Who does that sound like? The enemy of our souls, doesn't it? The devil. Are these not the very words that are used to describe the devil? Are these not the very kind of tactics that we see the devil employing in his opposition to the Lord and and God's people? And so as believers, we have to be on guard against Satan's attacks. Again, sometimes Satan comes with a direct frontal assault against the gospel. But oftentimes, rather than explicitly denying Christ outright, Satan chooses a cunning, deceitful kind of side door attack. 2 Corinthians 11.4 says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so we must be beware. We must be aware of subtle perversions to the gospel. We've, we've studied some of those in our 318 group this past uh, school year. Like eliminating God's just judgment under the, the guise of his love. We need to be aware of that perversion or, or be aware of of adding the necessity of our works to what Christ has done, or, or of having the gospel take a back seat to social causes, or always looking for new revelation rather than standing firm in the revealed gospel. These are subtle attacks against Christ and against the gospel. And they're things that, that believers can, can be deceived by or people claim to follow Christ can be tripped up by. One, one thing I read said something this way. I don't think it's an exact quote, but if Satan cannot batter down the front door, he will try to slip through a side door of compromise. So here in Joshua 9, the Gibeonites from Canaan have gone to great lengths to deceive the Israelites into making a treaty with them which would violate God's command to Israel. So, how, how are Joshua and the Israelites going to respond? What are they going to do about this? Well, that leads us to our second heading then. Heading number two is foolish prayerlessness. Foolish prayerlessness. Look at verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, right? You know, because that's what the Gibeonites were doing. They were saying, hey, look at our bread. Look at our wineskins. Look at our sandals, right? You know? And so it's like the, verse 14 says, the Israelites kind of took those things and, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is moldy, right? You know? Uh, They took some of their provisions, but, verse 14, did not ask counsel from the Lord. Verse 15, and Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. So the leaders inspected the provisions, but they did not bring the matter to the Lord for prayer. The the leaders relied on their own wisdom, but they failed to seek the wisdom of the Lord. And Numbers 27, 21 told Joshua to seek the Lord through the priest when faced with situations like this, right? God had designed means and channels through which they could go when faced in, when 
in these circumstances. Ways that God would direct them through the Urim, through the priest. And so the Israelites should have sought the Lord here. And had they done that, had they prayed, had they asked the Lord for guidance, God would certainly have alerted them to the deception of the Gibeonites. But because they did not seek counsel from the Lord, they were tricked. They were tricked by the Gibeonites. And Israel made peace and entered into a covenant with Gibeon. Look at verse 16 now. Here's where it all comes out. (laughs) Verse 16. At the end of three days after they made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. Verse 17. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shapira, Beharoth, and Kiriath-Jerim. So three days after making this covenant, Israel hears, guess what? Those guys aren't from a distant country. Rather, they're actually your neighbors. And so Israel says, no, no, no. And they, they travel to check this out. And sure enough, there's Gibeon. <laughs> Gibeon is their neighbors. And in fact, Gibeon's the chief city of, of kind of like this federation of cities. And so now Israel has made a, a covenant with all of them. So Israel can't attack them because of the treaty that they made with them. Look at verse 18 now. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we've sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. So even though Gibeon lied to Israel and tricked them, the, the, the covenant, the oath, the treaty is still valid. And so the leaders say, we've got to keep our word here. Because if we don't, God's name is going to be shamed, right? And, and if we don't, then we'll bring judgment on ourselves. And so they're stuck. And what a mess it's made, right? We kind of start to see some of the, the mess, some of the fallout, don't we? Now you have division between the people and the leaders, right? The people are murmuring against the leaders. You know, what are you guys doing? Now there are Canaanites in their midst who can potentially turn their hearts from the Lord. And so what a, what a reminder, what a crucial, crucial reminder to us and reminder to me as, as a, one of the leaders of the church how vital prayer is, how vital seeking the Lord is, depending on the Lord. It's vital for us all. The Bible is clear that we are to seek the Lord, that we are to depend on His strength and guidance. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I hope most of us have that memorized, right? If not, we need to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. See, they leaned on their own understanding in this case, didn't they? They didn't seek the Lord. They didn't trust him. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
over and over the Bible says we are to seek the Lord. We are to pray for him to guide our steps by his spirit. We're to pray and ask him to govern our decision making through the light of his word and through the grace of his providence. And that's what God does as we seek him. But too often we fail to do that, don't we? Too often we fail to seek him. We lean on our own understanding. We trust in our own strength. We, we act like we're too busy to seek the Lord. I just got to go do this stuff in my own strength. We walk by sight instead of walking by faith. We forget how easily sin can deceive us. So what does that look like in our lives when we forget to do this? It's repeatedly plunging into our day without first spending time with God in prayer and in his word. It's serving God in our own strength because we've not fervently prayed for God's help. It's making significant decisions without praying about them, without seeking spiritual counsel. That happens to, <laughs> to us elders every once in a while. You know, a member of the flock will say, hey, you know, we're just, we're just going to go do this. You know what I mean? It's like a big life-changing decision. And you're like, wait, 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 really? You are? <laughs> uh, like, don't you want to talk about this? Or have you talked about this with anybody? Because you haven't talked about it with us, <laughs> you know? And I mean... Wow, you know, you need to seek some wisdom there. And like, like the Israelites, what a mess we make when we do not depend on the Lord, when we do not seek him, when we do things in our own strength and understanding. Right? Think of how it makes us more susceptible to calamity. How, mo- how we're much more likely than to give in to temptations, to the temptations of the evil one that we face. Remember, we're in a battle. How we, we, we fail to bear much fruit because we did things in our own strength. That's what Jesus was saying in John 15. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me you can do nothing. So we make a mess when we don't depend on the Lord. We give in to t- temptation, we fail to bear much fruit. We hurt others and we hurt the name of Christ because we, what do we do? We respond to things according to the flesh. Right, Because when we're not walking in the Spirit, when we're not using the means of grace and being filled by the Spirit, what's our default response then? The flesh. <laughs> and that, that hurts people and brings dishonor to Christ. We're more likely to fall into doctrinal error because we do not test things according to God's Word. So lots of, lots of problems occur and so, loved ones, my, my plea with us, my reminder to us, may we be convinced this morning, once and for all, that we desperately need the Lord every day. Are you convinced of that? As a child of God, as a follower of Christ, are you convinced that you desperately need the Lord every day? May we renounce all prayerlessness May we renounce trying to live the Christian life without the daily bread of God's word. I know the struggle that is, and I know how foolish we, we all are to, to fall into those bad habits. But let us, by God's grace, forsake that and say, no, I must spend time with God. I cannot go out into this spiritual battle on my own. 
I have an enemy who loves to deceive and has his fiery darts and I've got to be standing firm in the strength of the Lord. I've got to be uh, armed, clothed with the armor of the gospel. And so I've got to be daily taking that in. I cannot lean on my own understanding. I'm going to just make a mess of things if I try to do this in my own strength. May we be convinced of that, loved ones. Let us commit together then to be a church that daily depends on the Lord, that daily seeks him through prayer and the word, that, that, that prays for each other. Because we're in this together, aren't we? We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for the leadership of our church. Because we are faced with decisions and we certainly don't want to make those with, you know, in, in human strength and understanding. So please pray for us. Not just only with decisions, but I mean like with shepherding, right? Just shepherding the flock, preaching the word. I know this can be convicting and that it certainly is to me. And you may be saying, yes, yes, Jatham. <laughs> I hear what you're saying and by God's grace, I, I am convinced about that and, and by God's grace, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to renounce all those things. I'm, from now on, I'm going to try to live that way. But I've got to tell you, I've already made a mess of things. Like Israel, I've made my bad choices, and now I'm stuck with them. And that leads me then to our third and final heading. Sovereign grace. Don't you love when we can talk about the grace of God and the sovereignty of God. Sovereign grace. Look what happens at the end of this story. It's, I mean, it's kind of an, a, a, an odd passage. It's kind of a tricky passage, but yet I see the themes and the handprints here of God's sovereign grace even in this. Verse 22. Joshua summoned them and he said to them, well, now he's talking to the Gibeonites, right? <laughs> Why did you deceive us, saying we are very far from you when you dwell among us? It's like, I, I can answer that for you, Joshua, right? You know? But anyway, I understand that's what he's doing. Okay, verse 23. Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. So he's like, well, well we, we can't... By oath, we can't destroy you, but we're going to sentence you to servitude here. Verse 24, they answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. Here's why we did it, right? To save, to save our necks. And now, behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. Verse 26. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. And they did not kill them. Verse 27. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. So, as we look at this whole scenario, 
I think it's very likely that the Gideonite deception was Satan's attempt to, to destroy Israel from within, right? To, to do the very thing that God had commanded them not to do, you know, to, to leave Canaanites among them who could lead them astray, bringing their idolatry, bringing their immorality right into the heart of Israel. That was, I think, Satan's scheme here. But what does God do? What does God lead Joshua to do in this scenario? God gave Joshua wisdom to assign the Gibeonites to be servants for the tabernacle. And, it, and it's like this amazing example of like grace uh, trumping sin. Grace trumping evil. These, think about what's their lot now. These deceivers... Yes, they're going to be servants, but these deceivers will now be used to keep the altar fires burning and to keep the water well supplied for the cleansing rituals. All the things that are being done in the, in the tabernacle, one day in the temple, this is going to continue and extend Israel's worship. So what Satan had meant to probably pervert Israel, to lead them astray, God is trump, uh, trumping that, triumphing over that. And saying, I'm going to use it to extend Israel's worship. I'm going to use it to foster and enhance and spread, facilitate Israel's worship. The very thing that the enemy planned to destroy is instead preserved and increased by God's overruling providence. And this is exactly what happened with the cross. This is exactly what happened with the crucifixion. Right? Satan and evil rejected Jesus. Satan and evil wanted Jesus killed and destroyed. But God used that. God used that rejection to actually triumph over sin and Satan and death and evil. can read about that more in Acts 4, the, the prayer the early church does. They, they say, hey, you know, these, the nations are raging against you, Lord. They, the, these evil people have rejected your Messiah. But yet you use that now to accomplish, according to your sovereign purposes. And what was meant for evil, you have used for triumph and for good. And I think we see a shadow of that here with the Gibeonites. God used the the evil uh, against Christ to defeat sin and death and Satan through Christ's atoning sacrifice and through his victorious resurrection. So one of the takeaways from today, I I just want us to praise God for his sovereignty. Praise God and be reminded and encouraged that God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Right? Right? No matter what Satan does, no matter what schemes he tries to do, God's ultimate purposes cannot be thwarted. Praise God. Think about the Gibeonites here. Again, put yourself in their shoes. Because of their sinful deception, they were punished. They were cursed by Joshua to be servants in the house of the Lord. But that punishment brought them into the community of Israel and they had a front row seat at the worship of God. Now, I don't know, you know, who God chose to save through that. 
But wow, what a privilege they had. They got to witness the place of sacrifice. They got to serve and witness the place of communion, the place of worship with God. Here's what one commentator said about the Gibeonites. Quote, as, as you kind of trace the history of them now from this point forward, he says, quote, they appear to have been fully assimilated among the Jews as much believers in Israel's God as was Rahab and other foreign converts. Now again, we don't know the hearts of each Gibeonite, but it is interesting, by the way, years later, we read in Nehemiah 7.25 that there's 95 sons of Gibeon who are involved in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Right, so I mean, this is generations later. There's there's descendants who are serving God and are being used to to reestablish the the worship of God, even after being conquered. So it's just a reminder to us that God's glory is seen in His grace turning a curse into a blessing. His glory is seen in God powerfully taking sin and foolishness, even our sin and foolishness, and taking that to draw us closer to him. God is so powerful and wise and loving that he takes even our sin and uses it ultimately for good and his glory. And you may be here today and you're still in your sin. And may God use the the weight of your sin, the guilt of your sin, even the consequences of your sin. May he bring you to a, a, a spiritual crisis. May you realize, I am lost. I am headed for judgment. I've made a mess of things. I'm enslaved. May God use that to draw you to Christ today. And if God would give you the faith and, and open your eyes to that, you would, you would experience exactly what I'm saying, that how grace triumphs over sin. And how God's power is, is greater than even sin's destruction. And so if God is working in your heart like that today, I, I would urge you to, to turn to Christ. Turn to Christ cry out to him there's there's just like it's kind of an interesting little picture it says Joshua delivered the uh, the Gibeonites from from uh, the hand of the Israelites who wanted to kill them right it just made me think of Jesus right how he delivers us from death he delivers us from God's judgment through his life death and resurrection and then again in closing Christians now speaking to us Again, let me restate, God is so powerful and wise and loving that he takes even our sin and our foolishness and uses it, this is a promise for believers, he even uses that for our good and his glory, Romans 8, 28 and 29, right? He takes even our sin and, and he'll, he'll dis, di, discipline us in, in fatherly love, right? He'll let us reap some of the, the, the immediate consequences of that sin, all to drive us back closer to him, where we need to be and where we should have been all along, right? To conform us more to his son's image, to enable us to enjoy 
our relationship with him more. Of course, this truth that God uses even our sin, that is no means, is no way is, is a license for sin, right? Sin brings consequences. Like I said, sin brings hurt to others and to ourselves. Sin in and of itself does not glorify God. So may we not sin. Let us strive by God's grace to walk in the Spirit. Let us strive by God's grace to obey the Lord, glorifying Him and enjoying Him. And let us abide in Christ, as I said earlier. earlier. Let us depend on Him through the word and prayer. And all the while, let us, loved ones, rejoice in our sovereign and loving God, knowing that He is always at work for our good and His glory. What precious truths those are. Be encouraged by them today. Let's pray. Father, we we do praise you for your sovereign power. Lord, we praise you that no plan of yours can be thwarted. And we know that the nations rage against you and against your anointed one. And and you're in heaven and and you laugh. (laughs) You laugh because Satan and all his his minions cannot stop you. Uh, Even persecution against your church cannot... The gates of hell cannot prevail. You are going to build your church. You're going to accomplish your purposes. And so we praise you for that. And we praise you for how you, uh, in your providence and wisdom and sovereignty, how you even use uh, the schemes of, of, of Satan, how you even use our own sin and folly, and, and how you use that to accomplish your purposes and to glorify your, your grace. And so may you encourage your people today and may you help us, Father, to, to be in awe of you today, to be in awe of Christ. And again, please, um, we confess our, our sinful independence. We confess that too often we are like the, the Israelites. We don't seek your counsel. We lean on our own understanding. And so, again, please help us to to forsake that sin today to to embrace our need and dependence on you to know that we daily need the, the bread of your word for our souls and that we cannot go forward in our own strength so we thank you for the, your patience with us we thank you for these lessons may you grow us for your glory and in, in jesus name amen amen let's stand together and we will Sing another song of praise.